the Gallup organization came out with a uh, study that was released a few months ago. For the first time in American history, um, the, the church involvement of Americans had dipped below 50%. So they, they do this survey every year and they, they analyze how many people are connected to a house of worship. And for the first time, under 50%. The numbers have been going down and down and down over the last few decades. But for the first time, man, less than 50%. And it was big news. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that uh, Christian ideas, morals, ethics, and beliefs are on the, on the decline, unfortunately. In fact, if you compare the beliefs of what's called Generation Z, people in their early 20s and teenagers to the silent generation, people that are like in their 80s and 90s. There's a massive, massive difference when it comes to daily prayer, Bible reading, belief in heaven and hell, God, the Bible, all those kind of things have just kind of declined and declined and declined. But today I'm so encouraged because I believe that the answer to this question and the answer to these issues is by returning to the person of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest hope, we have the greatest answer of all. And I believe that if the Christian church could begin to talk more about Jesus, more about the resurrected Son of God, that it would have a transformative nature in our culture. Listen, what our culture needs is not more politics. What our culture needs is not more religion. What we need is more of Jesus. And I've titled the message today, Jesus in the House, because I hope that Jesus Christ is a part of your life, and I hope that Jesus rules and reigns in your household, in your family, in your life. I hope that Jesus is under your bed and in the closet and in the kitchen and in the entertainment room and in the bedroom and, and everywhere in between. I hope that Jesus is in your house. So let's look today at Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 30. We're continuing our series that we began a few weeks ago called Walk This Way. We're talking about walking with Jesus, walking with Jesus. And you can take out your notes and follow along. I'm going to give you five things about Jesus today that I believe has the power to revolutionize your home and revolutionize our culture and the problems that we're facing in the days ahead. Um, First of all, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And these are five benefits of having Jesus in your life. Number one, Jesus cares. And we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Now, look look at the scripture with me. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So, just to pick up the preceding verses... Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's preaching some powerhouse sermons. And people are like, we've never heard this before. Remember the Bible says that Jesus spoke as one who had authority. And people's minds are exploding, you know, with all these amazing things Jesus is saying. When Jesus finishes his sermon over at the synagogue, he walks down the street and he goes into Peter and Andrew's homes. These were the brothers, Peter, Andrew, and they were part of the 12 disciples. And Peter's going to become that, that great leader of the 12. But anyway, Peter and Andrew, it's their home. When they get home, the mother-in-law is ill. 
And, and everybody starts looking at Jesus like, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? You know, and, and Jesus goes over and he begins to minister to this mother-in-law. Now, you, you know that, that, that Jesus is a really good dude if he's taking care of people's mother-in-law. Amen. You're like, yeah, he must be the son of God. I mean, come on, you know, do you need any more internal witness? I mean, come on now. And Jesus is connected and Jesus um, cares for Peter. But isn't it beautiful that Jesus cares for Peter's family? And he's about to raise this, this sick woman from, from, from the, I almost said the dead. She was almost dead, but he's going to raise her up. And Jesus cares for Peter's family. And Jesus doesn't just care for Peter. He cares for Peter's family. Now, Jesus is going to take Simon Peter and Andrew all over all over Galilee and even into Jerusalem and some other places um, as, as part of the 12. Remember, Jesus had an entourage. He had a posse. And, and Peter, Andrew, James, and John were four of the 12. There were others that sometimes joined in as well. And Jesus is going to take Peter. But, 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 but notice this. Peter has a mother-in-law. And that means that Peter has a what? He has a wife, right? Right, you probably got to have a wife if you're going to have a mother-in-law, and and it's interesting. Our Catholic friends are really big on Peter being the first pope, but Peter was married. Okay, do you see it? And in Catholicism, you can't be a priest if you're married, and you certainly can't be the pope. But Peter was married. I'm just saying that's another subject for another time. But Peter is married, and and Jesus is going to take Peter away. And, and, and I think Peter probably had some time to come home and visit and, and see Mama. But maybe Jesus knew that Peter's wife needed her mother to take care of her, to talk with her, because Peter was going to be gone doing the ministry. Amen? And the Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just kind of reading into the text. Jesus cares for your family. Jesus, When Jesus cares for you, he cares for all of those who belong to you. And Jesus is connected. And, and, and Jesus has a thing about houses. I mean, he loves houses. When he saw Zacchaeus in Luke 19, Zacchaeus was the little guy. He was up in a tree to see Jesus. Do you remember it? And Jesus said to him, I'm coming to your house. He invited himself over. My mom always taught me, you never invite yourself to people's houses. Well, Jesus did it. And Jesus loved the home. He was there in Peter and Andrew's home. He was in Zacchaeus' home. He went to Matthew's home. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew was one of the 12. And he was a tax collector and he was stealing from people. And when he met Jesus, he had a party. And he invited all of his thieving, all of his stealing tax collector buddies. And they all met Jesus. And they did it at his house. Jesus went to the house of a Pharisee. And that's where the woman anointed him with, with oil. So Jesus hung out with religious people. He hung out with, with broken wheels off, like stealing, thieving kind of people. And Jesus just loved people. I mean, do you see it? Jesus loves people. Jesus was magnificent when he spoke to the 5,000, when he fed the 5,000. Jesus was amazing when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, Jesus was a media personality. He had all the charisma and charm. But listen, Jesus was amazing one-on-one. -on -one. Some of the most profound things that Jesus ever said was to people privately and personally. Think about when he said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. Can you imagine just how powerful that was in her own life? 
Jesus said other amazing, profound things to people privately. And Jesus cares. And Jesus cares. He cares a whole lot. He cares for us. Jesus welcomed the children to him. If you remember, the disciples are saying, hey, leave Jesus alone. No, Jesus was a people magnet. People love Jesus. What does our culture need? We need more of Jesus. If you really read the Gospels and learn about Jesus, how can you not be drawn to him? Jesus loved everyone. Jesus loved people that most people were afraid of. Jesus was approachable. Jesus was down to earth. Jesus was conversational. And yet Jesus was also the son of God. And he was an amazing anointed man. Jesus esteemed women. Many of his most devoted followers were women. Um, Jesus was such a magnet in Mark chapter 2. They couldn't get to Jesus because the house was full. And so people started pulling the tiles off of the roof to lower their friend who needed a touch from Jesus in through the roof. That's how bad people wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And we need Christ in our home. We need Jesus in our house. We need Jesus in our house. We need Jesus involved in our kids' lives, in our lives, in our marriage, in our family. Jesus really cares about our hurts, our pains, our frustrations, our our issues. He's, He's very personal. We need Jesus. Jesus cares. But this story gets even better. Jesus not only cares, he also touches. And in verse 30, it says, Simon's Simon's mother in law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her and took her by the hand and raised her up, and the fever let her, left her, and she began to serve them. So, not only does Jesus care, Jesus also touches. Now, the touch of Jesus is amazing. But in the ancient world, if you were a rabbi, you did not go around touching sick people. In fact, Jewish people had a lot of rules. Okay, read the Old Testament. There's a lot of rules in there. And there were rules about how rabbis were actually supposed to visit the sick. You don't get too close. You stand at a distance. You don't sit on the bed. Okay, when I visit people in the hospital or when I used to visit people in the hospital before the pandemic, you know, I don't get right up next to them usually. You know, I kind of stand at a distance. I'm a man of faith, but I'm not touching people. Okay, Jesus broke all of the protocols, he broke all the rules of Judaism, and he begins to touch this sick woman. Now you may think, well, she had a fever, you know? Well, yeah, but she couldn't exactly go to Walgreens and get a a subscription, a prescription. Um, She was ill. And in the ancient world, if you got a fever, a lot of times, if that thing got too high, you, you would just die. She didn't have medical attention. Now, we know that she was really sick because Luke writes about this same story in Luke chapter 4. And he describes uh, Peter's mother-in-law as one who had a great fever. Okay, The word that is used that he raised her is a Greek word that is also used in other parts of the New Testament to describe Jesus' resurrection. And I think the implication of scripture here is that this woman was almost dead before Jesus came along. And Jesus touched her. But Jesus not only touched the woman with the fever, Jesus touched somebody else. Somebody who was even far sicker 
If you keep reading in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, it says, Then a man came with leprosy who came to him on his knees and begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Did you see that? What did Jesus do to the leper? He touched him. It's one thing to touch somebody who has a sore toe. It's another thing to touch somebody who's got leprosy. Leprosy? Leprosy was that disease that, that, that registered your date with death. If I came and touched your sores, your leprosy, I would, I would contract that disease. And if I had it on my hand and then I rubbed my nose, now my nose would have leprosy. And leprosy was certain to kill. You, you died. It was just determining do you die sooner or later? It was excruciating. Body parts would literally fall off and decay from this disease. And Jesus goes and touches the leper? Now there are other occasions where Jesus just gave the word and people were healed and he didn't touch them. Because Jesus was so powerful, he could heal people all kinds of different ways. But I think there's something significant about the touch of Jesus. Jesus is showing that he cares for us. I want you to know something today. When you're hurting and when you're struggling, the touch of Jesus is there. Jesus, Jesus is touching us when we're, when we're suffering and Jesus is touching us when we're struggling. When we're struggling, when we're falling down, when we don't know the answers, when we're afraid, when we're scared, when we're uncertain about the future, we need the touch of Jesus Matthew 14, Jesus is walking on the water and he calls Simon Peter out of the boat. Peter starts walking on the water. He's doing great as long as his eyes are on Jesus, but he gets distracted. He begins to look around and he sees how big the waves and the wind that's howling around is. And he, and he begins to sink. And he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what does Jesus, does Jesus say, Peter, swim? What does he do? The touch. Jesus raises him. Jesus, Jesus lifts him up. Listen, when you're struggling, the touch of Jesus is what you need. You need the touch of Jesus when you're struggling, when you're suffering. That's why we should pray. We need to have a prayer life because we need to experience the touch of Jesus. That's why we should read the Bible. Because we need a touch from Jesus. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and your heart was warmed and you were touched by Jesus? It's an amazing thing. We need the touch of the Savior, the Son of God, feeling God's presence in your life. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been nervous? And then at the same time, you felt the presence of God within you. And, and, and there's part of you that feels afraid and nervous. And there's part of you that feels the presence of the Holy Spirit. The touch of Jesus. That's, that's called the Christian life. <laughs> that's the Christian life. The touch of Jesus. We need the touch of Jesus. We need the touch of Jesus. How many of us an attitude has changed in your life? How many of you are doing some things spiritually that you never thought you would have been doing maybe 10 or 15 years ago? Maybe 5 years ago. Anybody? You're like... You know, yeah, 
Amen. You know, you're coming to church regularly. You know, you never would have thought, I'm a regular churchgoer. You know, um, some of you read your Bible, you know, regularly. You, you would have never thought some time ago, you're a Bible reader? Are you kidding me? You know, I, as an 18-year-old boy, I was touched by Jesus. I was touched by Jesus. Man, I started reading the Bible all the time. I started going to Bible studies. I started Growing in my faith, I started spending time with my youth pastors. I started serving in my church. I, every time the doors were open, I was there for something. Why would you do that? I was touched by Jesus. You know? And some of my friends were like, what happened to you? you know? I'm like, man, I don't know, but I got touched by Jesus. That's what I do know. I'm not the same. I am different. I got a new motivation. I got a new mindset. I, 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 I got a new drive. In my own spirit, in my, I was touched by Jesus. And some of you are in that place. And others of you today, you want that in your life. You want to have the touch of Jesus. And he welcomes you. Listen, the touch of Jesus is something that you can experience by faith. And Jesus reached out his hand and he helped up Peter's mother-in-law. And what did Peter's mother-in-law do to respond? The Bible says in verse 31, So he went to her, took her by the hand, raised her up, The fever left her, and she began to what? Come on, say it with me. She began to serve them. Do you see it? Now see, this is the most natural response to being touched by Jesus is service. Jesus didn't say, let me give you a Bible study about how you need to serve others. No. She's like, I was touched by Jesus. Let's get some refreshments. Jesus, maybe you've been teaching at the synagogue all day. Maybe you're thirsty. Maybe you're hungry. What can I do to help? Can I get you a pillow to sit on? You know, what do you need? She started serving. Did you know the motivation for Christian service is always being touched by Jesus? Have you been touched? If you never have a desire to do anything for anybody else, maybe you never got touched by the Son of God. You know, I'm convinced there's a lot of people that think that they are in the faith and that, that probably aren't. And one of the big determiners is, do you have a heart to serve? Man, something happened in this woman's life. I mean, she didn't get healed gradually. She was healed immediately. And, and, and when she got up, she started to, to react with spontaneous service. Now, the, sometimes the greatest service opportunities in our lives are spontaneous. They're not planned. You know, if everything in our life has to be on our calendar, we're going to miss some of God's divine appointments. You can't plan everything that God is about to do in your life. God is the God of the interruptions. God is the God of the, oh, wow, do I have time to do this? Yeah, those are the moments when God shows up the most. And if everything has to be on the calendar and perfectly thought out, we will miss some of the greatest things that God is doing. Her service was spontaneous. It was immediate. You know, it wasn't like she was like, I need to pray about this for six weeks. You know, sometimes Christians get really spiritual about, about stuff. You know, like, can you help somebody? Well, I need to, I need to really, I need to really, no, no, there's people that are hurting. There's people have needs. We have to be open and, and, and ready and spontaneous and, and be ready to serve immediately. Tithing? Why would we tithe? We've been touched by Jesus. Let me give you the great motivator for being generous. 
I was touched by Jesus. Of course I want to tithe. I was touched by Jesus. I want to get baptized. I was touched by Jesus. Of course I want to get baptized. Why is that even a debate? My heart was touched by Jesus. Jesus said to get baptized. I want to get baptized. Helping others. Serving in the kids ministry. Being active in the ministry of the church. Of course I want to do that. I have been touched by Jesus. If you've been touched by him, it's just the most natural thing. Now listen, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't motivate us by guilt. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I mean, I really did something nice for you. Come on, woman, get up and serve me. You know, let me just tell you, you were about to die before I showed up. Jesus doesn't lead that way. Jesus doesn't lead by guilt. He doesn't lead by obligation. He doesn't lead by religious duty. You know, if you were more spiritual, you would help others. You know, serving God is not a chore. How many of us have some chores around the house that you have to do? Anybody? You got some chores? Anybody dread some of the chores around the house? You're like, oh, like I hate to wash clothes. I don't know about you. I, I would rather buy new clothes than wash clothes. Can I get a witness today? Is that better? Just buy new clothes. Why do you want to wash the old clothes, you know? Before we had kids, Jeannie used to wash my clothes. That, that kind of went away a few years ago. So I hate to wash clothes. What a waste of time, you know? Does anybody get excited about dusting the baseboards? No. I've got to trim some bushes when I get home from church today. I, I'm not really looking forward to that. I'm not really a big bush guy, you know? It's just got to be done. There are things you have to do. Listen, serving Jesus does not go in the category of this is just what I have to do. I got to just check this box. I got to get through this. I got to do this so I don't feel bad about myself. Serving Jesus is always a delight. Helping others is always opportunity. And it's motivated by gratitude because we've been touched by Jesus. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, what did he do? He began to give back the money that he had stolen with interest, by the way. And then he began to help the poor. Why would he do that? That's crazy. He was touched by Jesus. He was touched by Jesus. Will you allow yourself to feel? Will you allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit? Will you allow yourself to be, to be motivated and directed in some new and some unique ways as Jesus touches your heart? It's a beautiful thing. And this is how Jesus motivated people. It's always opportunity. It's always gratitude. It's never this. You better. Anybody that tries to motivate you in the church, don't listen to them like that. L listen to opportunity. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the touch of Jesus. That's what inspires us. Jesus motivates. But Jesus goes on and he delivers. Okay, there's another little part of this story when evening came, this is the same day, when evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. So word began to spread, hey, Jesus raised Peter's mother-in-law, maybe he could help you, and maybe the next door neighbor had a problem with cancer. So he comes over and Jesus heals him. Then he goes over and tells the guy across the street, hey, you got diabetes? You need to go talk to Jesus. 
And before long, the whole town is there. And they're all, and they're still at the same house. Now, the, the, the Sabbath ended when, when the sun went down. So Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue. He teaches church that morning. Then he comes over in the afternoon. He heals Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that according to Judaism, but Jesus did it anyway. But now the Sabbath day is over and people can carry the afflicted and the sick to Jesus because it was considered work to carry people to the doctor on the Sabbath day. But they're good because it's nighttime. Okay, the day is over. So they're bringing the entire town, the entire city is coming to Jesus. And word is just spreading. I mean, everybody's, everybody's into it. And look what it says. It says Jesus didn't heal all, but Jesus healed many. Do you see it right there? Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases. Okay, so it wasn't like Jesus just said, I want to help all the people that you know, have internal bleeding. Or I want to help all the people that have this type of ailment. Jesus' power was able to help all kinds of people. I mean, listen, you don't have one problem that is too big for Jesus. And Jesus never says, you know what? I help people who have troubled teenagers, but I don't help people that have marriage issues. I help people that have financial challenges, but I don't help these other people. I mean, listen, you don't have any problem today that is beyond the touch of Jesus. So Jesus begins to help all kinds of people that are in all kinds of situations, that are going through all kinds of different things, and Jesus delivers, and there it says he even drove out many demons, which is echoed all the way through Mark chapter 1. Jesus was driving those devils out, I'm telling you. We talked about that last week, and I think at the end of the chapter, he's doing the same thing. Jesus delivers. But you know, you have to read this and ask a question. Why did Jesus do so much? When you compare Capernaum, the place where Jesus is right here with Peter's mother-in-law, with another town called the town of Nazareth, which is the place where Jesus grew up, it's a totally different story. In fact, a really sad commentary is given to us in Mark 6 about the town of Nazareth. Look at that in verse 5 of Mark 6. So he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So there's a contrast. At Capernaum, many, many, many people are, are healed. At Nazareth, Jesus couldn't do hardly anything. It says he was amazed at their unbelief. What was the difference between Nazareth and Capernaum? One place had faith, another faith did not. And, and I wonder if in Nazareth, because Jesus had grown up there, if people just kind of didn't take him that seriously. You know, a prophet's without honor in his own hometown. Hey, I used to play t-ball with Jesus. How could he be the son of God? You know? I used to go to grade school with Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, the son of Mary and, and Joseph. Yeah, 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 I know him. He's who? He's God's son? He raises dead people? He heals the sick? Oh, give me a break. Come on, man. I've known him forever. I got all the dirt on Jesus. And there was kind of this comfortableness with Jesus. You know, sometimes we can get so cozy with Jesus and so comfortable with Jesus, we don't believe in the power of Jesus. And so at Capernaum, Jesus is doing amazing things. 
at Nazareth, everything's dead. You know, I think this is a great challenge for the church. Do we want to have a church that's more like Capernaum, a place where Jesus is always working and moving? Or do we want to have a church that's more like Nazareth, where it's like when something amazing happens, it was like, oh, that must have been on an accident, you know? What happened? What is it? The difference is faith. Man, are you believing God for great things in your life? Are you believing God for great things in our church? Are you believing God for great things in your family, in the life of your kids? Man, do you have that kind of faith? And this faith that's described here in Capernaum was one that people were constantly motivated. They were bringing the sick to Jesus. Jesus was doing so many things. But I, I think sometimes we've gotten too used to living in Nazareth and we've never been to Capernaum. Jesus delivers. But finally, Jesus transforms. He transforms. The whole town was assembled at the door. So check it out. Can you imagine a city where the whole town has been touched by Jesus? I mean, can you, what would it be like to live in a place where everybody or almost everybody was well? The doctors, the hospitals had to shut down, you know? What would it be like? This is Capernaum. The doctors have, they have hardly anything else to do. What happened? Jesus showed up. What if, what if our entire city met Jesus? What would it be like? What would it be like? It'd be, it'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Do you think crime would go down? Do you think violence would subside? Do you think suicide rates would drop? Do you think social problems would be diminished? Do you think people would be less sad and less depressed? I, I think so. Yeah. You see, we have the greatest message of all. That is Jesus. What our culture needs is Jesus in their house. What our world needs is, a, is, is to refocus on the Son of God, the resurrected Son of God that wants to give us life and Life abundantly. And he touched them all because there was nothing that was too difficult for Jesus. Now some of the people just wanted a physician. When you read the Gospels and you see all the miracles that Jesus did. Sometimes people just wanted Jesus to show off. Hey, we want Jesus to do a miracle. And in John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the 5,000... Some people saw the message in the miracle, but some people were just so entertained by the miracle, they just wanted to see Jesus put on a show. And Jesus is like, I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a performer. I'm a savior. Jesus backs up his teaching in John chapter 6 by saying, I am the bread of life. In other words, it's not, it's not just about the loaves that you guys ate at the feeding of the 5,000, it's the message in the miracle, and that is that I'm the Son of God. I'm the bread of life. I'm what you guys need, not the loaves of bread. 
And he goes on at the end of John chapter 6 and he says, listen, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have any part of me. Why is Jesus using such language? He wants people to not be married to the miracle. He wants people to be married to the man and the man is Jesus. So we don't seek Jesus just for what he might do for us or, or for entertainment purposes or just so we'll feel a little bit better about ourselves God wants us to meet his son in a personal and intimate way. A personal and intimate way. That's why Jesus transforms. He transforms. He transforms cities. He transforms households. He transforms transforms relationships. He transforms marriages. He transforms everything about us. To come into contact with Jesus is to begin to have our heart transformed. So Jesus has so much to say to us today. Our culture needs Jesus. Our lives, our families need Jesus. Jesus is the one who cares. He touches, he motivates, he delivers, and he transforms. And that's why he is the greatest. That's why Jesus is the son of God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer?